Well, hello, Defender Nation. It's Wednesday, so this is typically where um, I would be before chapel on Wednesday. Down here in the worship arts room where I take time to prep through a message and pray and have some time to kneel before the cross and just get centered. Now, you may or may not recall the first chapel of the year. In that, we sort of set it up where we all walked outside. We went to the far east side of campus and lined up across the perimeter of our property. 1,200 of us then walked like a wave of prayer over the next 30 minutes across campus. We prayed over our centers of learning, over our administrators, over the places of our athletic competition, where we live, where we play, where we worship, where we eat, just where we do life together. It was an incredible moment just bathing this campus in prayer, and yet as I thought about it recently, I realized that not one of us, for all the things that we petitioned the Lord for that day, could have ever imagined that we would have been praying for a global health pandemic. It wasn't even on the horizon, it wasn't in our imaginations, we could have never foreseen that we would be now doing chapel spread all across the world, but connecting digitally like this. And yet, we decided already then that we come before God because God is good and His goodness is not up for grabs, regardless of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. We prayed for missing home and now many of us are at home. We prayed for all sorts of things and yet everything is so different now. We feel as if there might have been some sort of maybe loss of control. But more realistically, it's not our control that we lost, it's our illusion of it. And in times like this, faith can get formed in new ways. God has often used some of the hardest moments in people's lives and throughout all of history to shape and prepare his people for what comes next. And so I want to look with you this morning, not in the typical series where we were going, but let's reframe that a little bit. I want to look with you this morning at Psalm 23. It's a psalm of confidence and of trust, of calm. For millennia, Followers of God have turned to this text as one that bathes them in comfort and in calm to drop our blood pressure, to refocus, to center again. This Psalm of David, someone who knew moments in his life where he could not see hope beyond the horizon, he could not see the light in that moment. At times when he was even despairing, and some suggest he even wrote this Psalm during that time. But. I want to look at it with you in a little bit of a different way today. Because God used those moments to cultivate a faith within David that I think he wants to do in us in this time. When I was a little kid growing up in Canada, I would watch on Saturday night's Hockey Night in Canada, and during the second period, an older gentleman by the name of Howie Meeker had what he called a telestrator. So he would sit and draw all over the screen, and at the time it was new fandangled technology back in the early 1980s. But what I want to do with you today is actually a little bit of a Howie Meeker telestrator kind of approach to Psalm 23. I'll show you. So the first part that I want to look at in this is just simply the opening line. If the Lord is my shepherd, and then what follows, I lack nothing. I want us to look at this as an if-then clause. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I lack nothing. See, right now is a time where we're all fixating on the things that have been 
taken from us, the things that we can't do anymore. And we're looking to all the things that we are losing, whether it's my investments in my retirement portfolio, the freedoms I used to have, or the joy I would get by getting to join all of you together in person and worship. Your list, I'm sure, is even longer yourself, all the things that we focus on that we lack. But I think one of the great reminders of this text is that when the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, nothing. I've been fixating on this line over and over again in my prayers this week. Right now, if the Lord is still my shepherd, and if I'm a follower of his, I lack nothing. I could lose my job. I could be on the run from enemies like David, but I lack nothing. Now, what else I want to be able to show you inside the text here is something I've often referred to as how the grace is in the grammar. And if you want to read a text in a new light, one of the things to do as you turn to your Bible in these days is I want you to really focus in on, um, in particular, what are the things that God is doing himself or promising to do? And what are the things that he actually asks of us? You see, I think why people have found Psalm 23 so comforting actually has to do with the grammatical construction of how this works. Let me show you. Inside the text, look at all the things that God does himself. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes. He guides. He comforts me. He prepares a table. He anoints my head. His goodness and love follow me. I love this line, his goodness and love, they follow me. They pursue me. They're chasing after me. All of these things I can't escape even if I wanted to. The goodness of God is in pursuit of me. But now I want to show you the other part of this text. So if these are the things that God's all putting on himself, that if he is my shepherd and I'm allowing him to lead my life and lead my decisions and lead my heart and lead my anxieties, then he makes, he leads, he refreshes, he guides, he comforts, he prepares, he anoints, he pursues. The grace is in the grammar. You hear me talk about this in past chapels too. Grace is described often for me as when God is the subject of our verbs. So when a message ends, we want to figure out where's the comfort in this. It's the reminder that God is at work and is always inviting me into his work. So even in the middle of a time like this, God is at work and I'm trying to find the places where I respond. So why has Psalm 23 been so comforting to so many people for so long? It's because God is doing the doing. People need the reminder again and again that, as I've often heard it said, this is the beginning of wisdom. There is a God and it is not you. And I think that's so true and here too. So now I want to show you, these are the parts of the text now where we focus on what is it that God's asking of us? David is the psalmist, a man after God's own heart, understands this. So let's look at it for a minute. Look at the first person references. Starts off, I lack nothing. And even though I walk, I will fear no evil. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So look at the pieces of the comfort that are being outlined in here. I lack nothing. I don't need to be afraid. 
And even at the end, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So these are the reminders that David's speaking over himself in the psalm. God's got his work. And then these are the things that he's asking of us. Can you see now how this psalm has provided comfort for so many people in different scenarios in life? And friends, God's people throughout millennia have been through wars, they've been through famine, they've been through difficult times. And in all of these things, oddly enough, it's often in these times where our faith becomes the most refined. I've been singing an old song lately at home, Refiner's Fire, just asking God that he would use this time to refine in us. Maybe there's a cultural reset in this. Maybe it's the followers of Jesus who know to look at the light getting, that's coming in from the resurrection in moments like this. They don't simply focus on the negative. They found contentment in all circumstances. Because that's what our God offers us. And as you pull out your Bible in these times, look carefully at what the text is asking of you and what God is saying that he himself is doing. You see, because he's never been the originator of evil. God doesn't wish ill things upon his children. We, we brought sin into this world. And yet he's perfectly efficient and the ultimate redeemer. And if he could take the crucifixion of his son and bring a resurrection out of that, then he can take a global health pandemic and create a cultural reset. Give us back eyes of faith. Show us what really matters at the end of the day. Bring him back front and center. Shake our heads and realize all the things that we've added in or made idols of that really weren't all that important after all. And I'm not saying it's easy. And I know that there are real losses in the middle of this, hard losses, and maybe even the worst is yet to come. But it's never been God's goal nor his promise for your life that it would be easy. God's greatest goal for my life and God's greatest goal for yours has never been that it would be easy, but that you would be His. May God use this time, whatever is happening in front of us right now, to make us His, more His. When we started that first chapel this year, we prayed that we would take one step forward closer to God. Here is another moment where we have the opportunity to do exactly that. Take a step of faith, Look with eyes of faith and not fear. Step forward and closer, and we'll start to see it in new ways. As we continue on in messages and days to come, I'm going to start talking about some of the practical ways that we can develop eyes of faith even in difficult moments. See where God is moving and be able to point that out. This might be a great moment for the church, to be the church in a new way to one another again. We're in fear, we don't go hoarding, and we don't turn to selfishness. We lay our lives down and demonstrate the goodness and the greatness of God by being good to one another. May it be so. You lack nothing if the Lord is your shepherd.